hi. <laughs> Maybe. There it is. <laughs> I thought you said you were going to do that on the podcast. Oh, I like. Well, hello, and welcome to Bromancing the Stone. It's the podcast for myself, Renee Sanchez, and my good buddy, Max Lyon. What up? Watch Rob Gobbs, and then record our thoughts on the internet and share them with you, our tens and tens of listeners, for your listening pleasure. And Max, how are you doing today? I'm good, buddy. Uh, Today is actually the seven-year anniversary of me moving to Chicago. Really? Yeah. Well, happy anniversary. Thank you, good sir. On your move to Chicago. Yeah. 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 I, I just, my mom actually sent me a screenshot of a, the Facebook post I made at the time. Because she yeah. still has Facebook and I got rid of mine. <laughs> 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 and, uh, She's like, look, this came up. This is in my memories. I saved it, and it's from seven years ago. I'm like, oh yeah, seven years ago today. I was, and it's a picture from like my dashboard of my car, seeing the skyline off in the distance. That was the first Hell time yeah. I was driving up. Yeah. yeah, and that, and you moved from Columbus to Chicago. Yep. yep. Uh, I had to make near... two trips in a little '96 Honda Accord back and forth, five and a half hours <laughs> each way. And just to move on my crap because I didn't want to. I don't know why I didn't just rent a U-Haul, but um, yeah, yeah, seven years ago. And then I spent the first three weeks of my residency here waiting for grad school to start, so I would just go to the beach every day. And it was like a hundred <laughs> degree summer, and it was oh my god, it was amazing. I was living my life like it was so fun. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Columbus is a neighboring smaller city to the bigger city, Chicago, much like Sacramento is a neighboring smaller city to many other cities in California, like L.A. and and San Francisco. And, you know, what's set in Sacramento is the ugly truth, which is the movie we watched this week. It's the second of the (laughs) Captain Triangle double feature that we're doing, but it's also the beginning of something that Max and I about four minutes ago before we started recording had decided that we're going to do for the month of August yeah. because of what we just witnessed on this film. Yeah. Renee had yeah. a great idea. Yes, I decided because I have a movie in mind for next week to follow this, but tens and tens of listeners, prepare yourselves for this month. I haven't come up with a kitschy name for it. I'm gonna, I, I, the name in my head is The Ugly Season. I don't like it. I don't mind that. Uh, you could just call it The Ugly Truth at this point. It's modeled ah! after the... <laughs> the... The Ugly Truth Memorial <laughs> Month of Shitty Movies. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. The Ugly Truth Memorial Month of Shitty Movies... Or as it's known on the streets, T U T M M O S M. Anyway, 
So this month we're going to be watching really bad rom-coms. Like, not like, not the kind, not like the wedding date where, you know, critics panned it, but it's like, it's got some redeeming qualities. No, these are going to be like just outright bad quality movies. Like these are basic, actually we just call it our shit list month. Yeah, shit list. I like that. Max and I, Max and I have, Yeah. So this is the beginning of the shit list. Because month. that's really what, what it's going to be. It's going to be our choices yeah. for like what, what we think are the shittiest rom-coms. Because I have one. I literally watched it once, and it's been on the top of my shit list. And ever since I came up with this pod, I wanted to do an episode on it. But it's also not nearly popular enough to do an episode. But now we've given ourselves a reason by what this month to watch it and review it. So, I already know what I'm picking after that. All right, perfect. So, yes, it's the beginning of the shit list. For you guys this month of August. And we're starting with The Ugly Truth. Which Max didn't necessarily hate initially. But he'd only seen it once and wanted to watch it again. <laughs> um, which, which I mean, like, it's another 2009 rom-com. It's right up there with, like, the other rom-coms from that year that made and solid it was, money. That were solid movies. And it was that, literally the very next movie that Captain Heigl did after 27 Dress. Yeah, it, and it made sense um to watch it now but dear god like, so the, uh, the I, I, I don't i don't have the same kind of like harsh i guess uh view of rom-coms well that's not true never mind i was gonna say i think you view them a little bit differently or you come down on them a little harsher than i do but that's not true never mind the ugly truth is a 2009 american romantic comedy film directed by robert Luketic. Or Lukitich, uh, and it's written by Nicole Eastman, Karen McCullough Lutz, and Kirsten Smith. It was written by women. I said those names very slowly Are you to make sure that me? everyone heard that right. Three women wrote this movie. Oh my god! Granted, it was directed by a man. But three women wrote this movie. Oh my god! <laughs> so they should be uh, ashamed. <laughs> and it's starring Captain Heigl and Gerard Butler. The film was released in North America on July twenty fourth, two thousand nine, by Columbia Pictures. Oh my god! So this was so actually it came out about nine days. So it's like the 11th anniversary of the film, actually. Not too long ago. A few days before. So. And it's six... Oh, yeah, you're right. It's like six months after, like, Friends with Benefits. Mm-hmm. And, you know, eight months after No Strings Attached. Like, mm-hmm. well, this, no, those came out... I thought those came out in 11. No, those are 2009. No, were, were they 11? They were 11. They were. This was before them. Yep. Jesus. Okay. So, um, as far as uh, the rest of the actors, uh, Eric Winter, who I believe is the uh, who plays Colin. Uh, oh, okay. John John Michael Higgins, who plays the Anchorman. Yeah. Nick Sear Nick Searcy, who I believe is the. Uh, the big wig at the local station, the one who 
decides the ugly truth needs to be used. Um, the bald guy. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, Kevin Connolly, uh, the who literally has one scene as the date, but because there are no other actors of name on this film, he gets to be in the starring list. I noticed that. It says with Kevin Connolly at the beginning. And yeah. I was, who the fuck is Kevin Connolly? This movie was so devoid of like actors of name quality besides the top two build that when they got Kevin Connolly, who happened to star on a TV show that had success, he was able to finagle a whiff out of this movie. What was he in? For one scene. He, he played uh, E, or Eric, uh, in Entourage on HBO. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah. He was also in the WB show uh, Unhappily Ever After. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. And uh and the and went to Cheryl Hines who finagled her involvement yeah with Curb Your Enthusiasm into an and in this movie. I do love Cheryl Hines, but not enough to give her an and. I've never liked her. I've never thought I just I've never liked her. I thought she was funny or anything. So Really? She just really? she just seems like I don't know what it is, but it just seems like she'd be a bitch in real life. I and just like, I don't know. Maybe it's the way well, she I think that's what she's she's more most commonly portrayed as. Yeah. Well, yeah. It just seems like she would she would go to Nordstrom and then complain about like <laughs> the lack of complain about the service, even the service is perfectly fine. Um. Anyway, we're going to a a. Um... Oh damn it! I forgot the name of the store. Never mind. And so, uh, how long is this movie? Um, hour and twenty. Uh, it is an hour and thirty-six minutes. Okay, it was on it's the short enjoyed. end. Thank God. <laughs> we. <laughs> if it could have been zero, that would have been better. Um. <laughs> You didn't and like then, the Katy Perry song in the beginning that didn't immediately get you jacked up. Yeah, and the budget of the film is two or is uh thirty eight million dollars. Okay. So they spent thirty eight million dollars on the somehow. Yeah, where? I know they green screened the fucking hot air balloon. There's a lot of green screen. And, and they somehow spent thirty eight million on this. How much did they spend on Captain Heigl and Gerard Butler? Thirty-eight million, probably. Uh, the, like at least a thirty of that thirty-eight went to the two actors, because like, because like they were like this is after three hundred, literally just like kicked Gerard Butler off. So like he's basically the hot shit in Hollywood at that moment, right? And then Captain Heigl, which I don't understand why, but whatever. And the, after twenty-seven dresses and like. Grey's Anatomy, Catherine Heigl was the hot shit. So I'm sure because it's, you know, patriarchy and pay discrepancy, it was probably like $20 million to Gerard Butler and $10 million to Catherine Heigl, and then the last eight was to do the rest of the movie. Hmm. Yeah, I could see that. And I bet the budget was probably supposed to be initially 30 and then after they spent 30 on the actors alone, they're like, we got these two on, though, but it's going to take all of our budget. Can we get a little bit more? 
and they probably gave them like 7.5 or they rounded up to 8 where they filled it. That's the story I've made up in my head. Anyway, what <laughs> did this make at the box office? Uh, okay, so $38 million spent. I'm going to say, and no sequel made, thank God. So I'm going to say like $180, uh, 190000000 million. God damn, you gave it a lot of respect. Well, I'm thinking about like 2009 rom-coms were still fairly I guess not popular but at least they made a little bit of money well the movie made 205.3 million dollars what yeah it made just around what you guessed yeah but I was I over 200 yeah even I was thinking mine was a little high Jesus there's a reason they paid that much for Gerard Butler and Captain Hagel oh my god there's yeah, a reason so. they paid that much because it, because goddamn if people didn't want to see them in movies at that moment. Yeah. And then I do remember uh, thinking like swooning over Catherine Heigl a little bit from this movie. <laughs> but then again, I was twenty-one. Was twenty-one. Yeah. Um. And so. Out of 173 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, what is its film score? 20%. 14% Rotten Tomatoes. There it is. Uh, they finally got one right. Yeah. Rolling Stone critic Pat, Peter Travers gave the film a half star out of four, stating there's not a genuine laugh in it. Toss this ugly ass crap to the curb along with the other multiplex garbage and see a romance that gets it right. I'm talking 500 Days of Summer. (laughs) 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 Pump and Breaks, homie. Pump and Breaks. (laughs) That's a movie that's not going to make my shit list because when I first watched that 500 Days of Summer, I immediately told my mom that it might be a type, top five movie for me. And then I rewatched it recently. And then it almost became a bottom five movie for me. <laughs> so there's a lot of feelings in that movie. <laughs> just that I can't throw away. Um, Time named it one of, has named The Ugly Truth one of the top ten worst chick flicks. Yeah. The, the AV Club gave the film a D. Uh, critic Roger Ebert gave the film two out of four stars. What? Saying that Heigl and Butler were pleasant, but the movie does them in. Um, and then he commented on the restaurant scene, which we'll talk about. That also was a red band clip on YouTube saying that Heigl makes a real effort. But that Meg Ryan scene when Harry met Sally was the gold standard. In this rare but never boring category. See, Roger Ebert knows. Roger Ebert part of the Susio gang. Shout out <laughs> to the Dega boys. No, but, but like, yeah, that's Roger Ebert basically saying when a woman is faking or having an orgasm in public, it is comic gold on film. All right? So everyone who's making movies, just write that scene in because you're going to get laughs. All right? 
what it is. Oh, we're writing a, you know, a, it's a remake of, you know, Jane Eyre. All right. Find a way to put in a fake orgasm scene <laughs> at the dinner table. We're good. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, I remembered it. I did not. I didn't necessarily think it was funny, but I, I definitely remembered it. It's a memorable scene. And she yeah. did do it well. I she, agree. She's really I, one of the more redeeming we'll, parts. We'll talk about that because that's the lone highlight of this film. Yeah. Um, so we talked about Catherine Heigl on the last one. We should probably take this time to talk about someone who's shown up, showing up for the very first time. Gerard Butler. I feel like what he's you, done other rom-coms. Yeah, but, but it's the first first time he's shown up on our pod. But I can't think of any others than the, uh, any other movie besides this. He's thought of as like a romantic lead, but really right. is because he was in P.S. I Love You, which is not a rom-com. Oh, that's right. And I think we have we've gone over that before in the podcast. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Uh. I honestly, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand Gerard Butler. I don't understand. <laughs> him. I don't understand him. I don't like. I can comprehend him. That's all I'm saying. Okay. I don't understand his like purpose. Like, what is he? Like, he's. I don't personally. I mean, obviously, I don't personally find him attractive. But I, I don't understand how he is attractive. Is it because he's scruffy looking and rugged looking? Like. There are plenty of other people that are like that that don't talk out of the side of their face and try to cover up a Scottish or British accent or whatever the fuck he's got. He's Scottish. Um, and like he's always kind of like hunched over a little bit, like he's st- like got trying to put on like this stocky kind of haunch thing. It's weird. I don't like him. He rubs me the wrong way, man. I don't like him. It might be because of this movie and the character he plays. But I don't like him. Um, um, I don't know why you chose this film. I don't either. So I think I forgot. <laughs> well, he was also in The Bounty Hunter with Jennifer Aniston. Oh, um, that's right. I forgot about that. That was a bad movie, too. Pretty much every Jennifer yeah. Aniston rom-com is terrible. Like, <laughs> poor Jennifer Aniston. I love her to death, but oh my god. God, her movies are terrible. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, with Gerard Butler, it's just because he has, you know, as you said, the gruff look, but, like, it, it's a, he's got a very action movie look to him. It's kind of the same way that everyone loved Bruce Willis, but if you really look at Bruce Willis, Bruce Willis can't really fucking act. <laughs> That's true. Like, he could deliver a line, but when you bring Bruce Willis onto something, you're bringing him to play Bruce Willis. You're not bringing him to play some other character you've created in your head. You're bringing him on to be Bruce Willis. Right. But, and that's what Gerard Butler is. When you bring Gerard Butler over, you want Gerard Butler. You don't want like him to like Mike Chadway is not some other character. That's, you know, well fleshed the fuck out, obviously, which we'll get to very shortly. They wanted Gerard Butler to be Gerard Butler. They just gave him a different name. Okay, I that I get, but you know when you cast when you cast you know Arnold Schwarzenegger or Vin Diesel or or 
any of those guys like Sylvester Stallone, like you know who you're getting. They're not acting, but you also are casting them for action movies, like they're action stars. Mm -hmm. If we're casting someone that we want to be kind of like action starish, but in a rom com, I get that. But then cast someone who has that rugged look, but who can act. <laughs> like you can get the action movie star look and persona. He's a fucking actor. Tell him how to act. But if you hire a real actor, you can mold him into whatever fucking character you want. So I will defend slightly the movie and Gerard Butler and the main character role. Cause I thought the same thing as you, especially when they show him on the public access, the very first like argument he has with Catherine Heigl over yeah. the phone, yeah. his speech is horrible. His like his line delivery, like anytime he has to deliver a line to the camera directly as if he's talking to someone, it fails miserably. Yeah. He cannot give a line directly to the camera as if it was someone else. But He's a lot more personable when it's just one-on-one -on -one conversation. So when he's supposed to be talking to Captain Hagel or when he's supposed to be talking to someone else or he's at the he's at a dinner table like talking to someone else in the scene and just having a conversation, it's a lot easier to see the charm within Gerard Butler. And I'm so not going to call him Mike anymore because basically Gerard Butler is playing this role. Yeah. So so I just feel like they put him in scenes that could, like he could never find success in, but then there were other scenes that he could. So like, you know, it, it, like at that bar scene um, where he, you know, after he did the late, late show and he didn't take the San Francisco job, he, you know, and then he tells Captain Heigl about the doozy or whatever, mm -hmm. or like all that sort of stuff. Uh, which we read, or I read the line jokingly, but for the tens and tens of listeners, because it wasn't recording, let me go ahead and read the dialogue to you. Let's just get into the movie. We're in the movie now. Um, <laughs> by the way. Um, well, we already covered, covered Catherine Heigl in the last episode. Gerard Butler is the only yeah. other one to really cover, so. Yeah, that's what, that's what I said. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so. Um, so, yeah, this is at the bar scene after he's done the Late Late Show. And he had that moment on the Late Late Show when Craig Ferguson says, who's the girl? And he has a look as if he knows that there's a girl, a singular woman, who caused him to be such a chauvinistic, horrible pig. <laughs> this is the, the, what is actually causing him to have that look. And that moment, that possible redeeming moment, this is how they decide to go with it. Abby, which is Captain Heigl, tell me about the doozy. You know, the woman who broke your heart. Mike, you are just totally trying to kill my buzz. Just <laughs> deflecting immediately, trying to just, like, who writes that line? Fuck you. A 16-year-old. <laughs> Abby, no, I'm not. I'm just interested in what makes you, you. I mean, she's the setup, whatever. Doesn't, we can't, anyway. Mike, well, for your information, it was more than just one. Okay, pause right there. 
How? <laughs> like, Craig Ferguson legit pointed out a singular name. Like, a, a singular person when he said, who is she? Now, who are they? Because he's had some time was, to think since the Ferguson show, man. There was multiple girls, man, you know? Maybe like, one jumped no. to his mind on the Ferguson set, and then after a while, he's like, oh, no, it wasn't just her. It was her and her and this one and... You know, well, he, he, he strikes me as a deep character like that. Well, he continues with, it was more like a parade. Codependent girls, unfaithful girls, depressed girls, narcissistic girls. Okay. Codependent girls, unfaithful girls, depressed girls. Like, he's saying these so dismissively. But it's obvious that if a woman is doing those things, that there's obviously some something that's causing said behavior, and, and as if yeah. it's just like a flippant, they made a choice to be like this, right? Yeah, and it's exactly. like no, there's a causation to these issues that they had, and instead of like trying to work through those issues with said girl, you're just blaming that as the reason that you couldn't be in a relationship. I mean, the unfaithful one can't really work through that. Either. Yeah, that like, one. Like, that one. Uh, that's the first one of the four. The uh, depression, and, like and, that's a like, yeah. Fuck you, dude. That's a real fucking thing. And yeah, th- narcissistic th- girls also. I mean that that for the most part can. That's like number two. Like unfaithful would be one as like the most acceptable. Narcissistics two were like. There's a reason they're narcissistic, but also like I just don't have time for it. I get that. Phony girls also don't have time for that. So, like, the depressed girls and codependent girls, like, yeah, there's, yeah, those are those are actual things. <laughs> those are work. The writers yeah. could have, you know, just omitted those and just yeah. gone with the rule of three, like any actual fucking comedy and anyone who knows anything about creating pieces of art for film and television know about the comedy rule of three. You could have just had three things there, and everything would have been a okay. Nonetheless, yeah, I girls agree. who it turned out didn't actually like me. By the time I hit 30, I realized that you can only have so many lousy relationships before you figure out there's no such thing as a good one. Abby, you can't really believe there's no such thing as a good relationship, Mike, to my very core. And then he's Sure, quick to fold on that opinion by the end of the movie, isn't he? He supposedly built a whole fucking life and livelihood up with this opinion, this to his very core belief. And then Abby comes along and magically changes it in one fell swoop. Isn't that romantic? What? <laughs> I mean... Okay, let's just talk. We're going to win out of order because it's the shit list. So <laughs> this is what the shit list is. It's going to be me doing – it's going to be a lot of out of order shit because there's a lot of feelings yeah. coming through me about the shittiness of this film. Let's do it. We're talking about the kiss. Wait, wait, the wait, wait, wait. One thing before we get into the kiss. No. Why we're not? talking about the kiss because – <laughs> We're talking about the kiss. Well, this this one thing is about the thing, the last the bar scene that we just talked about. 
It's about Gerard Butler and his character. Okay. What about... Just go ahead. I Just one quick thing about his character. It's shit. Don't be him. That's it. Like, we don't need to unpackage it any further. He's a fucking awful human being. And I yeah. hate the man that he plays in that fucking movie. And in no reality does he end up in a quality relationship by the end of the movie without drastically changing most of his personality. So let's just leave it at that. <laughs> that is not how a fucking guy behaves. I don't care how many times he tries to ram it down our throat that this is how men are and this is how women are. Fuck you. You don't know how men should be, obviously. Now, let's go into the kiss. All right, well, you just basically said what I was going to say. So, Oh, did uh, I? Well, yeah, uh, that's why I wanted to keep going. But no. Um, like, so let's just oh, go. I'm sorry. We'll go in the kiss. Uh, we'll, we'll keep going. So uh, as far as the kiss is concerned, the kiss is what is in the elevator. And quite frankly, I liked the kiss that happened in that elevator after the bar. I liked how they set it up. They followed the comedy rule of three in that scene because they had the, on the third time that they touch each other is when they kiss because they initially gave each other a hug. Right. That was a very wrong concept. And then, yeah, it was set up well. The actual kiss itself was, you know, hot and steamy and everything else like that. It was actually done pretty well. And then just the, the setup on the actual elevator. I just like and the actual elevator de- design. I don't know why, but I like the elevator design of the scene. I, I don't know what it was, but just like where the lines were and how it was centered and off centered in ways. Anyway, hmm. nonetheless, I give it, I give it a B plus. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I didn't, I, I thought it was cute and uh, it was cute. It was actually, it was the, the cutest part of the movie for me. Uh mm-hmm. I thought it was I thought it was adorable. Mm-hmm. And this and was after holding her holding the doors open too, I thought it was like Yeah. Was, and you're viewing it from behind. I thought that was cute. Yeah. Cause it's it's kind of like she's in the moment, kind of like, you know, just yeah. just take me and make out with me, but at the same time she's also in very control very much control of the moment where she's just fucking mm-hmm. holding the doors open. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Yeah, I'd give it I'd give it a solid I'd give it a solid B. We didn't really okay. get to see a whole lot of the actual kiss. It was mostly just like zoomed out, you know, from a distance. So, yeah, um, I can't really say too much about, you know, how awkward a kiss or either of them is. Well, it's because they're playing it half for passion, half for laughs. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, nonetheless. So that particular kiss scene is two minutes after their sexy dance scene at the bar to the you know Jesus. Latin so generic Latin song theme. After and after him explaining his uh, doozy. After all, after all the doozies, you know the, the you know when he really got to know. Granted, all of this is happening an hour into a ninety-six minute movie. We don't have a lot of time to develop anything you're doing right now all of this should have happened a half hour ago but we're doing it now and we're literally just ticking boxes just 
so within so I, I I bring up the kiss after that bar scene because within five minutes and one odd make out that granted was pretty cool, but that happened in an elevator. So five minutes of movie time and one makeout scene. Mike can't figure out how to say I love you to this girl. Yeah. And the way he's saying it as he's trying to pump himself up and be a man is he is saying, I want to make out with you, but like not just tonight, but in the future as well. That's literally one of the lines he goes through his head with that he's going to say to this woman that he supposedly has feelings for after five movie minutes and a makeout scene to profess his love to her. Yeah. And then he's given a second chance after he goes to the door and sees Colin answer the door, the other guy. She's given a second chance because she chases after him into the hallway. Yeah. And he has a chance and to be real and open up a little bit. And, and be vulnerable. And he instead is like, no. Because he, in his, you know, stupid riddled head, is like this because he's extremely insecure. And so he already thinks he's lost to Colin. And he takes it out on Abby because she probably invited him over. And that kiss wasn't real at all. I can't believe her. And it's just. She even explains herself, which, like, you don't need to do, but in a situation where, like, she is explaining herself to you, she came after you, and the moment you put up your guard again, did she turn and run away? No. She stuck around and explained it to you further. That is the signal of someone who actually cares about you. Someone who is being there in the moment with you, despite what is waiting for her back in the room, because she wants to be with you. Explained what, though? She explained, like, where the guy, where he came from. Like, oh, that he just showed up at the door. You know, like, she was trying to, like, not console Gerard Butler a little bit, but, like, diffuse the situation. Mm-hmm. Because he thought, you know, she already invited him over, like you said, and you know, she's he's all bent out of shape, and so she's trying to like, yeah. I mean, she, she I mean, she's, that. At, she's at least she's at least attempting it to explain yeah. it. Although at the same time, if if we're to believe that unfaithful girls were involved in the amount of girls that have done him dirty, he's probably heard from unfaithful girls that he just came on his own. I don't know what he's doing here. I already broke it off with him. It's probably heard. It's <sighs> a good point. So, good point. So we're gonna take away your your you know your your rant there. You you don't get to finish that rant. You come back stronger. You come to the hole. You come strong. But no, I think that I think it still stands because <laughs> he, he like this is the whole the whole problem with the movie is that he doesn't change at all, and yet he gets the girl. That's bullshit. Like you don't get a quality relationship being the character that you are without changing and in a moment in the climax of a rom-com that was the perfect moment to show that he's risen above his past and changed i don't care what's happened in his past we've all got shit everyone went through shit of their own kind 
the whole point of being human is growing the fuck up and growing past it, learning from it, evolving. He didn't do any of that. <laughs> I'm just thinking about the ending of the film because, you know, oh because God. he, in his petty ass, quits the station because and joins a different station in Sacramento. Oh, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That ending? Yeah. Like, he does that because he assumes that Abby had called for Colin, like, what, after they had kissed in the... Because he's just... Because his feelings are hurt because the girl he likes was with someone yeah. else, and so he's, he's not even going to fight. He's not even going to fight for her. He's just going to pout and take his ball and go home. <laughs> pout and take his ball. And go. That's so what he did, though. That's so true. That is exactly what he did. He's a fucking. He's a petulant child. He's a petulant child in the film. They like. What are these three writers doing? I keep coming back to that. Like, these three female writers just wrote... Like, it's like they all summoned who what they don't like in men. And then they just put it into a male character who... But they... What was supposed to be the antagonist ended up with the protagonist of the film. Yeah. I... Yeah. I don't get it. I don't get like. It. I feel like, like it had to, it had to have come from like the the fucking like the corporate like the Columbia Pictures must have bought this story and then just completely changed the fuck out of it with like directives of like this is how we want this to go and so they overrode like some of what the writers were giving them so the writers gave them what they wanted which was you know oh it's Gerard we got Gerard Butler for this film so we need you to rewrite the male character to have a happy ending and he he wins the movie you know that's gotta be he's he's the star he's he can't like that has to be it because like because how can you write this guy in this way like the ending of the film had to be something else it had to be like it may have been that abby ends up alone and that mike like gets his comeuppance like Mike doesn't necessarily change, but rather has a comeuppance or like a at the end, maybe he's like his his foot gets tangled in like a hot air balloon that's rising, and then Abby figures out a way through her quote unquote control freakness freakness to find a way to you know she was prepared for the hot air balloon to do something like this and saves the day, brings him back down to earth, and then he realizes oh you know maybe women aren't as bad as men. And something yada yada while he's you know crying and, and his nose is running because he's a petulant child, and so she saves him, and and like that's, and then she just moves on and you know or, finds it. Or the they guy. just end like he that right there maybe is a chance for him to show a little bit of growth. Maybe he's not obviously done growing or anything. None of us ever are, but it's like a glimmer of hope, you know, and maybe the end is them going on a like a first date but like a real first date as like their more truer selves and it shows like and we just leave it at that we show that he's growing she's growing they're growing together maybe they'll grow together in the future 
We don't need to go beyond that. Because the whole fucking plot was dysfunctional. Why do you all of a sudden get to end with some sort of functional ending? Fuck that. Just Or maybe they just don't make the movie at all. Why is this a thing? <laughs> why is this why does this movie exist in my life? And that, my friends, is the ugly truth. <laughs> i just don't get it i mean but okay look let's let's talk about something happy let's talk about something happy do you do you have anything else that you any nuggets that you want to pick from the movie beyond no that's what i'm saying like we're gonna go to another scene in the movie that and that was actually good we talked about it briefly with roger ebert's uh review but Let's talk about the scene, the restaurant scene. Is there much to the, even talk about in that though? Well, I'll, let's just let's go over a breakdown. Let's read the scene with Catherine Heigl and the Meg Ryan scene. Okay. Which one was better? Meg Ryan's. Okay. Why? So it was shorter, more subtle, um, and. It was easier to relate to. I don't think it was shorter. Uh, I remember it being pretty it short. Seems, it seems short. It seems short because there's less cuts. Um, because it's oh, there's yeah. the shots last longer on the faces, but there's a lot of cuts from like in the Captain Hagel scene of the kid with the remote to. You know, Captain Hagel's face to Gerard Butler's reaction to other people's reactions at the table to here to there to there to here to a shot under the table, the legs, to this to that. There's probably like 30 or 40 cuts of that scene, which is trying to make it's the director trying to provide the feel of, you know, oh my God, losing control to all this right. like sexual thing. When really it's probably that Captain Heigl wouldn't go all the way with like the commitment of performing an orgasm. Because of the back of the rumors of Captain Hagel's behavior on films and and you know everything else, uh, so she probably didn't go as far as Meg Ryan went in the scene, and that commitment does show in what makes you know the one ha- the Harry Met Sally scene a better scene. Yeah, like it's better of the two, but there is a part in the Captain Hagel scene that without 100% makes me laugh every time. And it may be the funniest little tiny moment out of the whole, uh, out of both of the scenes. So when Catherine Heigl is looking for the remote and Gerard Butler's down under the table with her and she tells him, you know, it's the the underwear and he's all like, you're wearing the underwear right now. Well, no, when she, and after she grabs her, like when she pops her head back up, and she's like, she goes, wow. And it's like, <laughs> and then Colin, Colin asks, like, are you okay? And then she just looks and goes, yeah. <laughs> it's like with this stupid smile, like panic smile on her face. And like, that's the perfect smile. Like, cause you can see the panic and happiness. And like, you can see all the feelings <laughs> in her, in, in her at that one exact moment. So like her smile is like 
perfectly given. And then the way she says, yeah, kind of has like a little tiny uptick as if it's like slightly a question, slightly a moan, but, but mostly like affirmative, like <laughs> answering the question. I just, that little tiny, like one second makes me cry laugh every time. Like I even like happen <laughs> to have it on, like on that moment um, on, cause like I was watching on my PlayStation and then I turned my PlayStation off and finished it on my laptop in my bed. What, before I went to bed last night. And then when I turned on my PlayStation, it turned on to that scene. And so I rewound it back to that exact moment where she goes, yeah. <laughs> like, and laughed again this morning. And I was just like, oh, too bad the rest of you sucks. <laughs> yeah. Just, as far as that movie. But that little bit is funny. And yeah, it's just, you know, I just don't think Gavin Hagel was willing to commit more <laughs> yeah that. yeah you might be right well i mean look at the ending scene she's wearing a bra and when they're supposed to like be having sex like true so, yeah I'm, I'm sure it was just like one of those things um hmm. how <sighs> like i'm out i got nothing like i, I mean like i said all i wanted to say about this fucking thing so what happens after ever after for this film is pretty simple. Uh, they don't last. Abby you don't and Mike. say. No. Um, I think. Uh, I think her name is Joy in the film. The assistant to Abby. She ends up with Colin somehow. Oh, uh, I could yeah, see that. You know who the assistant is like? Almost a, her name's Bree Taylor. Bree Turner. You know who she's a doppelganger of? Who? Judy Greer. Thank you. Okay. They look exactly alike. And I kept thinking that because she plays the friend. Right. What I was thinking is like, wait, Judy Greer was the friend in in 27 Dresses last year. Uh, But we need a Judy Greer type. We don't want to like repeat Captain Hagel Judy Greer, do we? Plus, we just spent all of our money on Captain Hagel and Gerard Butler. Uh well, this girl looks exactly like her. Caster. She's the assistant. <laughs> it feels like that's how she was brought in. I I would not be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Because she definitely fit that role. And I'm glad I wasn't the only one that thought that during the movie. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing that what happens after Ever After is that uh, Gerard Butler, a.k.a. Mike, doesn't even make it past the second day at the news station. Because of sexual harassment. That's yes. still a he's not he doesn't have a job. He doesn't have a job after two like one to two appearances. I like that. That's that's more fitting. Yes, because like there's so many sexual harassment things I kept cringing throughout the whole fucking movie. Or at least the first, you know, half hour of it when it was happening. But like I dude, it was making me so uncomfortable. Like they just I was like, it's, they it's wrote, they wrote the worst, confident, but fuck. They wrote the worst stereotypes of males. Like, everything that... When you think the worst of males, it's basically Gerard Butler's character. And they gave him a happy ending. Which, let's talk about the very ending, and then we'll give our verdict. Okay. In first off, horrible green screen with that with the uh, balloon. Oh, awful, awful. 
just awful. Um, they they go with they go with rape jokes with Jack Magnum, which oh, the I gun know. thing the gun thing was kind of funny. But then they go rape jokes. Yeah, and consent. Yeah, awesome. Wait, you know, way to go. That fantastic work. We're already off to a great start. And then Captain Heigl gives a speech that's odd, like that you feel like as an audience member, she deserves. Like, fuck yes. Like, tell it. Yeah. Like, you deserve this. You deserve to tell everything, and yada, 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 yada. And then, of course, but then she loses all that goodwill in the balloon when Mike finally says, like, I think I'm falling in love with you. And she immediately is like, I can't believe you said I'm a psycho. And then he's like, look, I just told you I'm in love with you. And you, all you can focus on is that I called you a psycho. And then, you know, he's like, yeah. I just said I was in love with you yeah, again. Yeah. And then you're giving me a, like, what is that dialogue? Like, what is that dialogue in that fucking scene? Also, with the way he acted the whole fucking time, she has a right to ignore a simple I love you. For all we know, he's trying to manipulate the situation. He's losing ground. She's finally taking control of the situation. And he throws a fucking Hail Mary of an I love you in the air and hopes that'll salvage his position. We don't know. And she's, I... she's probably right to just ignore it. Like, part of me likes that. Part of me likes that it's different because, like, there's a lot of people who, or a lot of movies, were like, "Wait, you love me?" And like, the music changes and everything else. Part of me likes that, but there's a bigger part of me that's like, you gotta at least react, even if it's just to say, "Oh, fuck off! You don't really love me." Like, you're just saying that bullshit. Like, there's something. There has to be a reaction to it. That there was no reaction or that it was completely ignored felt weird to me. Well, I can definitely understand how in the heat of an argument, you focus on the last thing that was a, that was said, especially if it was, uh, like, accusatory, which it was. So he called her a name. So, of course, <laughs> she's going to focus on that. Like that. That I get. But why did we have to keep that up? Then he says it again, and she yet again focuses on the accusatory part of the statement. Then he has mm-hmm. to describe, he has to explain the situation again. It's like, and then even when she does react to it, it's like, okay, you you built and it up to this asks, point. Yeah, Give and us something. She, so like, she loses goodwill because she can't fucking react properly to, to him finally being quote unquote vulnerable. Well, as vulnerable as he'll ever be. Right, and then. By the time she does, she reacts in the most insecure way possible. Why do you love me? Yeah. Which is just, ugh. And then his fucking response. Yep, let's hear that. Beats the shit out of me. And then that's it. That's the end of the scene. Like, And she kisses him. And they make out in the balloon. I just I, okay, whatever. Just, <laughs> just let's just move on. Jesus Christ! So Max, what's I, your verdict? What's your verdict? Kill. 
I kill this film as well. Kill it. Fuck this film. It is on our shit list. Congratulations to the Ugly Truth, the inaugural member of the Bromancing the Stone shit list. I think this is our new August because I mean I like August. It. August is a is a weird month in Chicago. It stays warm, but it also gets cloudy, and like and then thunderstormy, and there's a bunch of cicadas that come in. So like August is not that fun of a month because it's just like. It's super muggy and super hot. It's and super muggy, always cloudy, super hot, and people like people get angry. Yeah, and people are just kind of like, people are quote unquote over the summer, but it's just like no, we have to appreciate this still because it's gonna get cold. But then at the same time, you are like, but this does suck. I'm not a fan of this. Oh god, <laughs> especially now that we're in a quarantine and we haven't even really gotten to experience the summers in Chicago this year. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's already a fucking a month away from being over a month and a half. And yeah. And yeah, like we're so used to spending every other year trying to appreciate every last little drop of it before it gets cold. Now we're doing it in the middle of a fucking quarantine. We're going to go right back into winter. Yeah. Ugh. So fuck you, ugly truth. We're starting off. <laughs> yeah. The- yeah. You are a inaugural piece of our shit list. <laughs> so it makes it makes yeah. sense to do a shit list in August too, because it wraps yeah, up so. it wraps up wedding season. Because like wedding yep. season is like all cutesy and lovey and shit, and then we go to the let's do the other side. We got to be fair about it. Let's go to the shit yeah. list, and we're going to the shit list. So wedding season's in July, shit list is in August. That's how this podcast will continue on. So also, my verdict is to kill this film as well, because obviously, yeah. Um, so I don't know if I said that yet, but I'm saying it again. Um, yep. And, uh, our socials. Uh, so on Instagram, our show social is bromancing the stone podcast all together there. So bromancing the stone podcast on Twitter. It's bro, the stone pod. Uh, and then my Twitter is supermarket sweep without the E in super. So S U P R market sweep. Uh, and the, uh, my Instagram is relusa88. That's R E L U S A eight. And Max, my Instagram is the Lionhearted, which is T H E period L Y O N H E A R T E D. Huzzah! And next week we move on to the second movie of our shit list. Um, now this is where, th- as I mentioned, this is a movie that I saw once, absolutely hated. And have been wanting to tell someone about and like and, and converse with someone about how shitty this film is. <laughs> and now, Max, you get to be that person I converse yes. with. Yes. Along with the tens and tens of listeners about the shittiness of the movie Something Borrowed, which stars <laughs> Kate Hudson, uh, Jennifer Goodwin, uh, John Krasinski, and. What? Wait, really? Yeah, and a fourth guy who was a soap actor who I will get the name of and proceed to mercilessly shit on. Oh my god, I can't wait. I'm actually excited for this. I like this premise that we have for the podcast now. It's, you know, it can't all be great. Yeah. It can't all be great. Sometimes sometimes rom-coms suck real bad. And you've heard a couple of them recently with 13 going on 30 and the wedding planner. But yeah, now 
we're going to talk about real bad ones, which we just did this week, and we will continue for the rest of the month. So we hope you dig this little, you know, turn. The positivity as far as between us, the bros, <laughs> is still there. Um, and, the in, and in September, we'll get back to, you know, properly loving on these films. But until then, for the tens and tens of listeners, we love y'all. Thank you for listening. We will catch you next week. Love you guys.